afternoon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's lovely to see all your beautiful faces. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Um, it's my first time teaching today. Uh, just wanted to say thank you to the um, <clears throat> to the pastors for letting me teach and for um, helping me to grow and to mature enough to be in a position where I can teach. Um, and for considering me as mature enough to teach. Uh, I, know, I know since I went to Bible college, Harry's been saying that she wants a return on her investment. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I wanted to teach. Um, before I teach, I just wanted to acknowledge James 3.1, um, which says that not many of us should be teachers, um, for it carries a, a, a great condemnation. So... Um, uh, I wanted to approach the text with reverence um, and be faithful to the text because it is God's word. Amen? Amen. 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 So the text I'm going to be in today is 1 John 3, 19 to 21. Um, as you turn there, I'm going to just state my intention in teaching. Uh, my intention is to encourage us, to encourage those who believe that we can come to God and, to not, um, and that we need not live a life of condemned fear of his judgment but trust in the full, complete, and finished work of Christ and to walk in that as a church. Uh, and I believe it's something that we all struggle with, and I know I do struggle with it myself. Um, but for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation, and we have to live in that. Um, so this sharing is, is an encouragement towards that end, um, so that we may live a life of repentance towards God in that assurance. Amen. Um, okay, so John, First John... 19 to 21. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Um, I'm just going to take time to pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is, 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 is yours and is to us. We thank you that you've applied um, the Holy Spirit to our lives to for those who have been saved. I pray, Lord, as I pray, um, I, pray <laughs> I pray, Lord, as I pray, <laughs> I pray, Lord, as I, as I share that you would um, give me the words to speak, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would enable me to, to communicate effectively and fluently, Lord. Um, I pray that your, your people would have open hearts um, and that those who are not your people would have open hearts to your gospel, Lord. Um, we pray that you are glorified today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it is my first time, so please bear with me. Um, <laughs> so, um, in this book, we, we see that John is speaking to an Ephesian church, and it's not necessarily the Ephesian church in, that Paul speaks to in the actual book of Ephesians, but it's just a church in Ephesus. Um, and within it, he explores the love of God and how that applies to those who believe and who are his children. So in, first, in, in, in verse 1 of John, 1 John 3, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So in this chapter, what John is trying to do is distinguish between the children of God and the children of the devil. Um, he communicates that Christ brings us into the fold of God. Not only do we have a privilege to be in that fold, but we have a responsibility to abide in Christ um, and to love 
the brothers and to, to maintain that essence of righteousness. <clears throat> um, the, the, the Christian has not only experienced God's love, but then such love compels us as we go in Christ to love others. Um, and that's all through the chapter. Um, the first clause says, by this we know. And what does that mean? Um, you see, he, he begins, by this we know um, that we are of the truth. And by what we know that we are of the truth. So when you turn back to verse 16, it says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, the, the, the question is, why would he lay down his life for us? And what does that mean? And he refers to Jesus. So after this, the temptation of, and sin of Adam, every member of mankind was made and conceived in sin. And this is universal. God, who is perfect, just, holy, and righteous, must execute judgment upon those who offend him. Mankind, when he sins, offends God and breaks his laws. And our consciences are a witness to the fact that we break God's laws because that is a moral standard. We break our own moral standards. Um, we, in our own mind, we know when we do something wrong that we've, we've broken our own moral standards. Um, and like a criminal who, who, who commits a crime against the court, we must be punished. And there's people that object and say, um, but you know, I'm a good person. I've lived a good life and, and I haven't killed anyone. And I don't usually steal and stuff like that. But we, we know that, that God knows the true heart of mankind and know, you know man has a standard of, of righteousness and you know, sees his sin in a certain way. God knows all things and sees sin as it truly is, and he does not take our sin lightly. Um, God in his holiness cannot have sin in his presence, hence why when Adam and Eve first sinned, he cast them out of their presence. So mankind has, who has turned from God deserves hell. And this puts mankind in a conundrum because God is just, and he must condemn those who are guilty of a crime. Many people say, you know, on a, on a day of judgment, I'll go before the Lord and, and say, you know, ah, oh, God, you know my heart, so, you know, it's cool, and I can, you know, I can get to heaven because God knows my heart. But again, God knows that our hearts are desperately wicked, as Jeremiah 17, 9 says. Um, so you, you, so you, you, you're kind of playing yourself. Um, but, but if God were, you know, and if, if God were to forgive sin without it being rightly punished, he would be unjust. Um, God does not sweep sin under the rug. You know, just even in recent events, we see, we see white police officers that get away with killing black men, and we, we question the justice system. Yet people expect God to do the same thing when it comes to their own sin. Um, but that's not how God works. God is just, and he will punish sin. But God is not only just, God is love. And no mankind is in sin. God loved mankind so much so that he became a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life that we cannot live since sin is universal. And on our behalf, in our stead, he died. He was separated from the Father and paid the punishment that our sin caused. God did not sweep sin under the rug, but dealt with it in Jesus Christ on the cross, finally. Um, and he did so that we could be covered in his righteousness and blamelessness, and that we may stand before him as not guilty. Um, and Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Also, Romans 3, 23 to 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And this is how we are saved. 
by grace through faith, not by our own works um, of the law, but by a gift that is from God. After we are saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit as a seal of approval, and he allows us to repent. And to repent is not only the, the remorse or feeling the remorse or guilt of sin, but it's also the turning away from sin and leaving a life that is pleasing to God. Amen. Um, and within the text, that's what John wants to communicate. He wants to communicate that. that um, he wants to communicate this to, because the, the, his recipients are part of a community in which some left um, and some just simply didn't believe. But John makes it clear that the gospel is not just fake news and he does it through two ways. Um, he, the second clause in verse 19 says that because we are of the truth and the truth is made up of the reality of the gospel and the outworking of the gospel. So the reality of the gospel refers to the fact that Jesus' Jesus's incarnation was real. And at the present time, in this context, um, there was a teaching of, of, of um, a philosophy called Docetism, um, which believed that Christ did not come in bodily form. Yet in 1 John 1, verse 1 to 5, he says, we touched him, we saw him, and we held him. Um, John acknowledges the universal presence of sin in 1 John 1, 8 and 10. He said, we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, and lastly, uh, he shows that Jesus is the only way of salvation. In 1 John 2.22, he says, Who is a liar but he who condemns Jesus, or he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And the second is the outworking of the gospel, which is the love for the brethren. So when we come, when we come into the truth, we don't just believe in Jesus and stay the same. We have to be sanctified and Love for the brethren is, is, a, is a big part of it because that's how Jesus said that the world will know who we are. Okay. So the believer or the child of God refrains from sin, no longer walking in darkness, being cleansed from unrighteousness and keeping his commandments and truly believing in Christ. Now in the, in the last clause which says, and shall assure our hearts before him, this refers to the fact that the gospel provides assurance to those who believe. And what does this assurance mean? Assurance literally means to persuade, namely so as to cease to condemn, satisfy the questionings of our doubts, of our consciences, as to whether or not we will be accepted before God. If we are a Christian today, we have the assurance before God that through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we will not be condemned to hell as our sin deserves, but will be granted eternal life unconditionally based on the condition that we um, truly believe in Christ. Um, upon the basis of Christ's perfect life and his propitiation for sin. And how does that assurance benefit us? Well, it benefits us in two ways. The first assurance is we have assurance in judgment. We who are no longer sinners um, have filthy consciences. Um, we no longer have to have filthy consciences. We no longer have to carry guilt. We no longer have to carry the fear of judgment after death or at Christ's return, but can expect to enter God's presence boldly, not on our own account, but upon Christ's imputation. Um, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? Because there's, <laughs> there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and um, recently I was watching, you know those hell and hell visitation stories where someone is in a coma or something like that, and then they go and visit heaven and hell. Uh, don't, don't ask why I was, I was watching that. But... Um, you know, this guy was praying for an out-of-body experience or to try and visit heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. And then he was telling this um, fantastical story of, of, of 
you know, the day of judgment where there was blue bodies and so and so, and it was a lot of, you know, gobbledygook. Um, and, you know, he was, he was explaining how everyone was going to hell and God would say, depart from me, and then a port would open and he got, and stuff would, just a lot of noises, and it was very, it was very, he used a lot of onomatopoeia. Um, um, and in this dream um, or bodily experience, uh, it became his turn, and, and, you know, God was talking to him about his own sin, and, you know, he was unsure about whether or not he's going to go to heaven. And then, you know, he was, like, he, like, he was convinced within himself that he would go to hell, but God turned to him and said, you get into heaven, but you barely make it. And, <laughs> and it was like, what, like, what does that even mean? Um, <laughs> but... That's not our assurance. Our assurance is a full assurance. We have a full assurance in Christ. We have the full assurance that, that God has accepted Christ's payment um, because he, he rose them up from the dead. We don't have any leftover slack. There's no leftover sins for us to, to atone for. God has done the full and complete work. And it's actually an insult for anyone to say that Christ's work can barely get you into heaven because Christ's work is sure. We don't have a flimsy assurance. Our assurance is approved by the Father and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and therefore our salvation is sure. Amen. 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 Um, the second way in which assurance comes is that we are, we are assured in the fact that we can come before God through prayer in our Christian walk. Jesus, in Hebrews 7.25, is, is said to be, be pleading before the Father in our case. He makes intercession for us. So we who believe are children of God, and in the same way a child is able to ask his parents for things, um, we can speak to God with frankness and openness. Um, nothing hinders us in our relationship from God. Um, we can come before God's presence to pray, to ask him for help, to praise him, to bless him, to give our, our burdens and hurts to him, to relieve ourselves of our, of our struggles and our temptations. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 said, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 John 5.14 says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We are no longer at odds with God, but we are at peace. Um, we're not like two countries who have entered a war and are just on diplomatic terms, but we are his children. We have been adopted. You know, God has adopted his enemies. We are, we are his enemies and God has adopted us. You know, and, 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 and his children have the privilege of, of, of receiving his full assurance of love, his grace, but also his discipline, um, which is not always the easiest to take. Um, he changes us and he makes us like him. He makes us like Christ. Um, he gives us forgiveness and freedom from the past. He gives us help for the present, and he gives us a hope for the future. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, when we go to verse 20, um, the, the first clause says, for if our heart condemns us. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, so there comes a point at which our assurance is no longer present to us. You know, whether we're a new believer or we've been a believer for a long time, you know, there becomes a presence. Of, there becomes a time where where that that assurance is is no longer clear to us. It's no longer um, as strong in our in our hearts as it is. And you know, before I go, and I wanted to define condemnation 
And condemnation is, is, is the, in this context, is the expression of very strong disapproval, um, the act of pronouncing someone guilty after weighing the evidence. Um, and, it's, and it's also used in making everyday personal judgments, as in the book of Job, i.e. feeling helpless before God's judgment or power and his righteousness. Um, and also speaks of self-condemnation. Now, there are two main reasons why we will feel condemned um, or why we may lack assurance. And it boils down to yeah, two. So a lack of repentance and self-focus. So the first is the lack of repentance. We do sin. Now, the reality of our nature is that we sin. Um, we fall short. We are heavily imperfect. Um, we are still being saved, yet we still struggle with sin. Um, sin, like in Romans 7, 18 to 19, is, 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 a, is a constant battle. You know, like you, you see that when Paul is saying, that which I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't do, I, I do. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's a continual struggle. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, like we don't love our brothers and sisters in, in, in the manner that we're supposed to. Um, that's in the Lord, and that's even our blood brothers and sisters. Sometimes we don't, we don't read our Bibles often. We don't... Um, care about the things of, of, of the Lord anymore. We don't pray or give it our time to, to God. We don't evangelize. Um, we, don't, we harbor anger. We harbor jealousy and lust and pride. Um, and in turn, our heart turns or our heart gives in to, to self-incrimination and guilt. So there's a cycle that we may display and you, know, you, you might be able to identify with this one. Um, so sometimes you may sin and then we feel guilty. And then after we sin, that guilt removes us from, removes our assurance from us and our standing before God and breeds a hesitancy and a fear and a distrust and a lack of confidence in, 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 in our position before God. Um, and then because of that, on account of our own self-rejection, we remove ourselves from reckoning ourselves as children of God and act as though we are not children of God and then continue to sin, and then we sin, and we feel guilt, and then we, the whole cycle starts again. Um, and some of us, you know, we take a sabbatical from God, and, you know, we think we're too, <laughs> we're, we're, we're too bad to, <laughs> um, to, to go before the Lord. And we see that in, a, in, in the case of Cain, um, Cain and Abel, when, you know, he was hardened in his sin um, instead of being righteous. Now, the second reason we may lose um, our assurance, or, or at least it become less clear to us, um, is because we exhibit soul-based behavior or soulish behavior. Um, the soul consists of the mind, will, and emotions. Um, and what I mean by soulish behavior is that it's the kind of behavior that allows the mind, will, emotional states, intellect, and the memory to take precedence over God's spirit and his word in such a way that robs us of our assurance and focuses on the self, um, even though the self is unreliable, inconsistent, and sinful. Um, we sometimes believe that, that, that God's work or Christ's work is, is, is too, it's is not good enough to apply or we are not too good, or we are not good enough to apply Christ's work to ourselves. Um, sometimes we feel we are too unholy to go before God. Um, and this shifts the paradigm from a Christ-based assurance to a self-centered assurance. Um, and we've only feel assured when we've done good, when we are reading our Bible and stuff and when we are loving others. Um, but that's not what our salvation is based on. Other times we don't feel God and we equate our feelings to truth. You know, there are, there are days of when we spend time with God and we pray and we're like, yeah, you know, I feel God today. And then there's the next day we don't feel God. Um, we don't feel like we're saved anymore. Um, and this leaves room for Satan to, 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 to further try and convince us that 
you know, um, we shouldn't be assured. Um, he's not in the text in this particular instance. Um, but Satan does come to deceive us. And, say, and Satan, who is the deceiver, the accuser of the, brev- the, the, accuser of the brethren, um, he wants to lie to us. And nothing makes him more happy than to, <laughs> than to uh, have us confused and hesitant about our, our position in Christ. You know, when we see this in, like, in Genesis 3.1, where the serpent plants seeds of doubt in Eve's mind, they're questioning the Lord's word directly to her and Adam. But there are objections to our, our soulish behavior and our objections to our, um, our sin. None of these are sufficient enough to keep us or rob us of our assurance. Our sin is unable to keep us from God. He has put death and sin to death. And though we continuously struggle with sin, he has provided forgiveness. 1 John 1, nine says, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and that's why a lack of repentance keeps us, because then we feel we're not good enough to go, but then we don't repent, but then we feel we're not good enough to go, but then we don't repent, so then it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not really helping anyone. Um, you know, so we should not be deterred by our weaknesses, and um, we should not be deterred by the strength of sin, because Christ has already f- defeated sin. Now, the second objection is that our feelings are inadequate, because sometimes we feel we don't feel God, but... You know, we live in a very feeling-orientated society. If you watch any kind of Hollywood rom rom comedies, you know, there's there's always a scene where you know, like like one person is going somewhere and their lover's going somewhere else, and then they're like, you know, I don't know what to do. And then there's always a friend that's like, you know, you should follow your heart. Uh, and then it's like, no, you shouldn't. Like Jeremiah seventy nine, your heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked, so you shouldn't follow your heart. And um, just like another, another example of how feelings um, oriented our society is, at, so, so I work with children, and there was one day that a new worker came in and he was talking to the children and asking them their names and so on and so forth. And I overheard one of the kids that I know um, tell him a wrong name. And I was like, no, nah, that's not a name. Um, and he turned to me and was like, no, nah, brother, it's cool, you know, it's cool, it's cool. What, whatever you self-identify as, that's what our name is. And then, and then I was like... What, what, what do you mean? Like, I was, I was thinking, what do you mean? And then all the other kids started to rename themselves on, on account of that. <laughs> so it was like, but, but that just shows that, you know, like, you know, your name is not what you feel, and now is your position in Christ. And, you know, we are saved by grace through feelings. No, we're not saved by grace through feelings. We're saved by grace through faith, and that's a gift that is given, and that faith is sometimes tried by our feelings, um, but... Upon Christ's death and his resurrection, we have that as a fact to back our feelings. Feelings are not facts. You know, and sometimes we have to encourage ourselves, like in Psalm 42, where David has to say to himself, hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord, because our, our hearts continuously are shifting. They're continuously, you know, being rocked by different circumstances. Um, yeah, so our faith and our standing before God is not defined by how we feel. Um, we have a privilege to say that it's not I, but it's Christ. Um, the, last, the last objection is that Satan is defeated when he tries to come and deceive us. Um, Romans 8, 31 to 34 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. 
more than that, who raised, who was at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Amen. 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 Um, so the second clause in verse 20 says, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Um, now, the, when I first read the text, I was thinking, what does God's greatness and knowledge have to do with our, our hearts condemning us? Um, and there's, there's a, few com- a few interpretations. Um, and the main kind of question is, is this superior greatness to be regarded as related to God's judgment or to his compassion? Um, let's boil it down. So, <clears throat> on one hand, you have, if our heart condemns us, then God who is greater... God, who is a greater and more impartial judge, will also condemn us. Um, if, we are, if, we fa- if we have found sin in ourselves, how much more will God, who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-righteous, and all-just? Um, God is a greater witness than our consciences, and he knows more against us than we do. Um, our heart, being deceitfully and desperately wicked again, um, does not even know the extent of the evil that is within itself. Um, so how much more will a perfect God condemn? On the other hand, God in knowing our sin is not surprised or taken aback by sin. He knows our sin before we commit them. You know, even when we feel we're doing good and we've got our hands lifted up in worship and all, all sorts, he actually has already seen our next season of sin. Um, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, God knows and he knows and he knows and he knows Christ's suffering for sin in all its sufficiency. In his wisdom, he has provided a way in which sinners can obtain salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. He knows his effective work um, of salvation to the sinful soul. Um, And when we do sin, 1 John 2.1 says, We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Furthermore, God is gracious in that he knows our frame so as to to pity us in our weakness. When we hurt, um, we we hurt when we sin and he knows that. Um, He knows that we have a desire to know him more. Um, and to enjoy him and to, to, to fight the pleasures of the world, even though they constantly have a grip on us. Um, God knows that we are born in iniquity, and he knows that it's, it's our nature to sin. Um, he knows that our heart aches when we sin, and he knows that our hearts um, hurt when we are sinful. You know, again, Hebrews 14 to 16, we have a, a sympathetic high priest. He's not one that looks at us or shuns us in cold indifference when we flop. He's the one that that is like, I understand what you're going through and I know what you're going through. Um, and that is God's goodness and that is supposed to lead us to repentance. It's not supposed to lead us to, to, to um, try and wander away from that because there is no repentance. There is no assurance other than Christ. Um, and, we, and we see this in, in uh, John 21 to 15 and 17. If you could turn there also. John 21, 15 to 17. Now, we kind of have that similar story with Peter. Um, in, a, in, in John 13 to 37, um, Peter was like, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. Like, basically saying, I'm about it. Like, Lord, if any man come, man there, innit? Like, <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> um, he was very sure of himself, in the, in, especially in a moment of ease when, you know, he was told a couple minutes ago, like, you know, um, Lord, um, like the Lord told him that, that what he had spoken was from God. But we can identify with Peter because we have those moments where we feel strong. Like I said earlier, we're raising our hands in worship where, you know, 
at community group and we're praying and slamming and I don't even know what else. But <laughs> we're doing everything. But then next thing you know, when Jesus is about to die and some little girl comes up to Peter, he's like, Jesus who? Who's the, who, like, who's Jesus? What do you mean? I don't know this Jesus person. And he's denying him three times. And he's, you know, and, you know, we deny God as well sometimes when we sin. And we know that we're, that, like, we know who Jesus is, but we rather enjoy our sin than, than, um, than acknowledge him. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> um, but you know what? The Lord reassures Peter. And he says this. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And that's what, in some senses, Jesus says to us. And he says, for the true believer, you know, I, I know that you love me and I know that you're struggling. Um, and I hope that's an encouragement for some of you who do struggle with sin that Jesus knows. Um, and a, another important thing to mention is that Jesus knows who are his and he knows his sheep. And that is a perfect place to say amen. <laughs> amen. Um, <clears throat> so the final section, which is verse 21, says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. If our conscience, while we are in Christ, sees more clearly and sees of trust, comparing our hearts to his word and his promises, we can be confident that we are accepted and not rejected by God. Um, what does this confidence entail, I hear you ask? Um, um, <laughs> the, um, we, we have confidence if the reasons for our condemnation are eliminated. So, if we trust and rely on Christ's work and not ourselves, if we trust Christ's death has not only satisfied our wrath of God, but allowed us to be restored to God, um, we see God's, God's changing and transforming um, power in us, causing us to love and be patient to our brothers, and we see his work in our life even through conviction. Um, the combination of these things give us, gives us a reason to have confidence, and we have every reason to approach God with boldness um, instead of shame. You know, we don't have to think in fear of condemnation um, we don't have to um, act like, well, we don't have to hide away from God, but we have a, a sure hope of redemption. We have confidence that he loves us and will not shun us. We have confidence to pray and to go to him. We have confidence to, um, to understand that he keeps us until the end, like Philippians 1.6 says. And we have confidence that he will change us, teaching us to love our brothers um, and be obedient to him. Um, God in his justification does not only grant us eternal life, and, and it's important to note that our assurance, though not reliant upon ourselves, will prove evidence. Um, James says that work, faith without work, work, works is dead. And we have assurance not only because of Christ's sacrifice, but also his cleansing blood that removes our sin, sanctifying us and bearing fruit in us. Um, and that does include love for our brothers and sisters as a text um, within the line of text kind of points to. Um, after assurance in Christ, we no longer have to run back to our old sins because we have an advocate of the Father who not only justifies but sanctifies. And we, know, we can know that we are of him. 
you know, and it's funny because the world is always saying that God and religion uses fear to get people to listen. Um, it, it's, it's a manipulative tool in order to get people's subscription. Um, but this text is in direct contradiction to that because God does not want us to approach in fear. He wants us to come with boldness. He wants us to come with sure clarity. It's actually the world that has no assurance because the world can't even tell if you're a man or a woman. The world can't even tell you what, name, what your name is. The world cannot tell you your identity. So how much more can the world tell you your, your position before Christ? So we have that sure assurance. And if anyone says to you, God um, is a, um, a controlling fear in God, you need to point it to this text. <laughs> um, so in conclusion, I just wanted to say a story about Henry Allen uh, Ironside, um, who is a Canadian Bible teacher. Um, and here we go. He says, an elderly man said to Ironside, I will not go on unless I know I am saved or else no, it's hopeless to seek to be sure for it. I want a definite witness, something I can't be mistaken about. Ironside replied, suppose you had a vision of an angel who told you your sins were forgiven. Would that be enough for you to rest on? Yes, I think it would, the man said. Um, and then Ironside replied, but suppose on your deathbed, Satan came and said, I was that angel transformed to deceive you. What would you say? The man was speechless. He said that God has given, um, and then Ironside replied, God has given us something more dependable than the voice of an angel. He has given us his son who died for sins, and he has testified in his own word that if we trust in him, all our sins are gone. And Ironside read 1 John 5.13, which says, You may know that you have eternal life. Then he said, Is that not enough to rest on? It is a letter from heaven expressly to you. God's spirit used that to bring that man's heart assurance. Um, John Piper put it this way, There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are condemned. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Outside of Christ, there is condemnation forever. Um, it's, the question I want to ask is, where do you stand? Um, do you stand in condemnation, or do you stand in assurance of, of a hope for the future? Um, can I invite the team to come back up? <clears throat> um, as we... As they come up, I'm just going to pray. Um, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in assuring us. Um, you don't want us to come to you in fear, but you want us to come to you in boldness, with strength, um, to trust in you, because we have no strength. Um, help us to understand, Lord. I pray for those who are struggling, um, who consistently are battling with sin, to know that God is more consistent than our sin, that he loves us. He, he wants us to come to him. Um, he wants to assure us, you know, God does not call us with fear, but he calls us with his love. And I pray for the heart that is condemned, um, that you would shower them with your love. We pray for the heart that is unsaved, that they would know that they are condemned unless they put their trust in Jesus. So we thank you and bless you, Lord. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.